Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Drop-In. As you can see, we're in a new home. I spent a lot of time at my last studio. It was an awesome experience, amazing. But the opportunity here, it had exploded. It exploded. So I'm so stoked to be here today. And my first guest, you don't even know. I'm giving <laughs> you the background story of one of the gentlemen who started this establishment. We're here at the Woodward Sports Network, and um, I can't be happier. You know, on the drop-in, I bring you people from all walks of life, from all over the world, dog trainers, Hollywood stuntmen, professional athletes, musicians, all walks of life, and it's just to tell their story. Everybody's line has been a little crooked as they're climbing <laughs> the ladder, and Sam is no different. Um, we're going to talk all about his upbringing, how he got into radio. The story's going to blow your mind, so stick around for the full hour because it is, it really, it blows my mind. When I have friends come in and I don't even, I mean, I've known them for years and years and years. And when I start to hear their story, it's so many things I didn't even know. So I'm stoked you guys are here to uh, just experience this with me because as you're watching, I'm experiencing it too. Most of the time, I, I'm like, you, you'll watch my face go, for real? Like, that really happened? Like, you'll <laughs> see it. You'll see it. But thank you so much. I'm stoked to be here in the Better Rate Mortgage Studios here on Woodward. And, um, you know, for all of you across the world, we're about 20 minutes from the great city of Detroit. That's where we're recording this right now. Just to put it in perspective for you, we're in the Midwest, the beautiful Midwest of the United States of America. And I want to thank you guys for giving me your time for an hour to listen to some of the most, I mean, uh, mind-blowing, mind-blowing journeys as the guests continue to pile up. And I'm stoked and honored to be here to bring you uh, each individual as they show up here. And, and like I said, they change and they shift. A Buddhist, we'll have all different types. So if this show does not resonate with you, tune into the next one. If that one doesn't resonate, tune in the next one. Because the goal is to inspire you to get off the couch and make life happen. It's your choice, your life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. We get one shot at this thing. And I want you to be the best version of yourself as you possibly can be. And with that, I would... It's my honor to introduce you to Sam Day. It says stick on the screen. I know that. And that's my first question. Where's the nickname come from, Sam? Uh, really from radio. I didn't get that nickname until I was about 19 years old. Um, and it, I've answered this question so many times. It, it's it's a fun name because, you know, I used to host a lot of nightclubs. The ladies would come up. Oh, what's stick for? You know, like it, it sends some messages to certain people. You take away from it what you will. Um, so I got an internship in radio. We're going to get into that and how I acquired that later. Um, but they had an intern at the time named Pebbles. And they're like, we're going to name you Bam Bam. And like Pebbles and Bam Bam, you know, Flintstones. I was like, okay, that's cool. But I just, I didn't feel it. Like, I, I'm not a Bam Bam. Like, that's just not me. And we're sitting around in a brainstorm session. They're like, well, we need something that'll stick with you. I was like, I like that. That'll stick. And they're like, for real? And it's just a brainstorm session. And next thing you know, I'm stick. But I was 19 years old, a little bit skinnier, a little bit scrawnier. So it fit at the time. Right on, yeah. right on. You know, nicknames are always interesting. Yep. My name is Gerald, not a common name. No. Nope. You know, I've met two in my life. So most people call me not Gerald. It's like, hey, Gerald, hey, Garrett, hey, Gerard, what was your name again? <laughs> so G sort of stuck with me, and a lot of a lot of my friends call me G. Well, my real name's not even Sam. My real name's Clarence. 
So, like, you know, I, I'm with you on that. There's no real good way to shorten Clarence. So my middle name's Samuel. We went with Samuel. Right on. Yep. Right on. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down. You're a very busy man. And uh, to come here and tell your story on the drop-in, just um, – it's important and in time you can't get it back. So thank you very much for being here. I was humbled that you even asked, honestly. So thank you very much. Well, let's get right into it. You know, the Metro Detroit area is awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I, I grew up here. I'm, I'm from the Downriver area, which is about 20 minutes south of Detroit. And uh, I love it. I love, I love Michigan. I love everything about it. Uh, you know, when you were born, you were in the city. So let's yeah. start there, man. Yeah, I was born um, 1981, you know, not too far removed from the riots in Detroit. And uh, lived at Seven Mile in Shiawassee. My parents had a nice little bungalow house, which if you know Detroit, it's just bungalow houses, you know, after bungalow houses, once you get out into uh, outside the big neighborhoods in the city. Um, and, you know, I believe I was like six years old and my parents just decided that, you know, the neighborhood wasn't the same. It was time to move out. And so we moved out to Novi and this was before Novi is what it is today. Like Novi, you know, it, it was farmland, essentially. And I grew up across from a farm there. So I grew up in Detroit, then immediately moved out to farmland. And, um, you know, it was, it was quite a culture shock, but it was great. You know, opens you up to a lot of freedom and, you know, just Michigan summers, mowing the lawn, doing, you know, just stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a different experience for sure. Definitely, definitely. And, and I mean, like you said. You go from the city, and, and when I was growing up, same type of thing. Downriver, there was farms. Like yep. as you were getting on the freeway, there's a silo and a farm. And there, there's literally a freeway through my old house. Like my old house used to be next to these three pine trees right there. M five went right through my old house, um, and that's part of the reason why we had to move out of that house was the freeway was coming through. And it's crazy, but those three pine trees are still there to this day. Oh, so every time cool. I drive by, I'm like, my bedroom window used to look at those. That's really cool. It's weird. It's really weird. Yeah. Eh, just a little reminder where you came from. Yep. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that's important. We got to remember where we come from. And that's a big part of, the, of this show is talking about where people came from. Now, with you moving from Detroit, you know, you said five, six years old. You're just getting into school. Correct. Uh, as you moved to Novi, um, you know, how was school? You, you bounced around a little bit? Yeah. My grade school, um, <laughs> it, it was very strange. So... I went to the, pretty much the same grade school till fourth grade, right? Uh, Maple Elementary, which is now they bulldozed and put a neighborhood over that too. Um, so I went to Maple Elementary till fourth grade. Then they redistricted. They built a new school. So I was just on that border to where I went to Hickory Woods Elementary. Well, then shortly after that, we moved um, to, uh, out to the West Bloomfield area, moved into an apartment. So then I went to Pleasant Lake Elementary. Then we moved back near Hickory Woods the year later. So I went back to Hickory Woods. Then we moved into a house a couple miles away, but it was in a different district. So I went to Wald Lake Elementary. So in the course of two and a half years, I went to five different grade schools. Now, were your friends moving with you or did you have to make new friends each time? Um, the good news is it was pretty close proximity. Um, the great news is I played sports, right? And my friends were from all over the place. So, like, I'd actually go to a school and be with a guy that I used to play baseball with or, you know. So it really helped me socially in that way. Um, and sports have always just been the common connection to where no matter where I'm living, I, I have my best friend that I've known since I was four years old. His name's Wellington. And we're best friends no matter where I live because no matter what, we'd be on the same baseball team and the same football team. 
Very cool. So Very cool. sports still is in always... touch with Wellington? Oh, yeah. It's my best friend till I die, man. That's my brother. Oh, cool. That's my brother. Yeah, I don't know life without him, and it's crazy. I don't have a life memory without him. Well, and you know, one of the raddest things about sports is that camaraderie. Yeah. I think it gets understated. You know, me, uh, I have a, you know, 35 years on a skateboard, and people are like, you still ride your skateboard? And of course I still ride my skateboard, but the camaraderie is just as important as the actual event. You know, it yeah. really is. I mean, sports teaches you so much. I could wax poetic about them for hours, just, you know, how to take a loss, how to get knocked down and get back up, mm-hmm. how to get beat by somebody that you know is better than you, and you know you got to put in the work to go back and beat them the next time. Like, they're just, to me, sports are just such a reflection of life that that's why they've always meant so much to me. And that you can always go back to those team sport life lessons. And no matter, even I'm 40 years old now. And I can go back to when I was 12 years old, pitching in the championship game, under stress, pressure. My dad comes out to check on me, and I'm thinking I'm in trouble. And he's just, yeah, no, we had a timeout, so I just wanted to see if you were okay. And, like, using understanding that just because it's a pressure moment doesn't mean you have to take it so serious. Right. And, you know, right. So those little things you take away. But, yeah, the friendships are unbelievable. And the influential coaches. There are certain coaches throughout. I, I you know, I played hockey first 22 years of my life in a serious fashion, you know, traveling around the world. And I still remember certain coaches mm-hmm. that either were such, so hard on us, but they taught me so much by being that person. Or, and I think that gets uh, overlooked uh, in today's society a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had some of the best coaches ever. And I'm a big fan, though, even if you have a bad coach, I'm a big fan of always using the philosophy. There's two ways to learn. I can learn by watching you do it the right way, or I can learn by watching you do it the wrong way. And so even though I've had bad coaches and, you know, there's coaches that kind of make you sour on the game sometimes and stuff like that, but you learn from them how not to do it. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, back onto the school thing. Yeah. You ended up going attending Wald Lake Middle School <laughs> yep. and on to Orchard Lake St. Mary's. Yep. Uh, what kind of person were you in high school? Were you like the popular guy? Were you – guy in the corner were you always in the gym what what kind of what kind of guy were you around (laughs) around school I think it depends on who you ask um but before I get to high school I want to because I went to all those grade schools and they were all in close proximity to each other they all converged at the middle school Ah. so all five grade schools that I went went to the same middle school and I knew everybody in seventh grade it was it was awesome bonus oh it was amazing (laughs) I was like hey 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 you know uh but then uh yeah I did decide to go to Orchard Lake St. Mary's for high school I would have gone to Wald Lake Western. Um, it was just a decision that I, I made by myself. My parents didn't even bring it to me. I brought it to them with something that I wanted to do. I wasn't a very good student in um, middle school, and I knew in order to get into St. Mary's, I had to reach a certain threshold of grade point average. And you know, I was like mm-hmm. a, I was always a kid that just didn't try. I was smart enough, I just didn't try. And you know, I had 1.5, 1.8 grade point average, just enough to get by. But then the challenge of if you want to get into the school, you need a 4.0. Semester, I got a 4.2 and got into the school. And so I went to St. Mary's. Uh, different experience for a kid like me who grew up, you know, in Detroit, kind of on a farm with some trailer park kids and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's kind of the salt of the earth people I grew up with, right? And then you go to a school like Orchard Lake St. Mary's, and it's CEO's sons and executive sons. And not that my family was poor by any stretch of the imagination. I've always had comfort. I've never wanted for anything. So that's a credit to my parents for busting their ass so much to get get us to that level. But I was by that standard, I was poor. 
right? So it was a it was a very interesting little bit of culture shock. Little, little bit of culture shock. You know, I grew up like I said, I grew up in the Novi, West Bloomfield area, so I knew of rich kids, right? But not like wealthy kids. There's a difference, you know. That's what Chris Rock said. You know, rich is Shaq. Wealthy's the white guy who signs his paycheck. <laughs> like, you know, you can't, you can get rid of rich in a weekend in Vegas. You can't shake wealth. And that's, you know, I'm stealing all that from Chris Rock, so don't credit me with that. Uh, it, you know, it's the truth. But I love comedians. They have a way of putting things in such a succinct manner. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting learning curve on, you know, it taught me a lot about life. It taught me a lot about... It doesn't matter what walk, walk of life you're from. You're a person. You're a human. Uh, you have issues. Sometimes the better off you are financially, the more issues that come along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been, like I said, in trailer parks of great families that have a great unit. I've been in trailer parks of families that are in disarray and abusive parents. And I've been in multimillionaire houses do, dealing with the same thing. So it really put an interesting perspective on life for me going to that school. Uh, as far as what I was... In high school, figuring it out, I didn't know what I was. You know, I think that's what a lot of people go through in high school, just trying to figure out what type of man you want to be, um, what works for you, what doesn't, what entertains you, what doesn't, who you want to deal with, who you don't. Uh, And I don't know. I was just one of those kids that I just did. And, you know, if you ask anybody from high school what I was, they they would tell you I was – um, I don't know. I guess I don't know how anybody would tell you. And I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but like I was, uh, I was a relentless kid, I think is a good way to put it. Driven, driven, but only by things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You couldn't tell me to do things I didn't want to do. And I figured that out very early. And that's very dangerous for a kid to figure out very early. Right. Right. I understood that no matter what decision I made, I only had to deal with the consequences. So why does it matter to you? And I almost got thrown out of St. Mary's several times. Um, you know, there were moments where I didn't study and my grade point average slipped. There were moments arguing with teachers. I, I still have a problem with authority on some level. It's just a part of my anatomy. I don't know why. Um, but I was also the kid that I got cut from the basketball team my senior year, even though I had a hell of a tryout. Hell of a tryout, man. I made all my three-pointers. I boxed out, got the rebounds. Um, but I got cut from the team. Um was it political? I'll ask because I uh, po- politics are in everything. Uh, there was part of it. Uh, part of me believed it was political because I got injured during football, and the football coach was the basketball coach. And but as I get away from it, no, it okay. wasn't. And um, I became the leader of our student section, and I got a loud mouth and I got a quick wit. So like we we got in a lot of trouble with that student section. I'll send you an article that was written about me in the Oakland Press, and it dedicated a day to me for running the student section and the MHSAA actually wrote us letters that they were going to start penalizing our team because our student section was so obnoxious and aggressive. I would take that as a compliment. I wear it as a badge of honor, (laughs) man. I wear it as a badge of honor. Um, And to this day, I'll go back to my high school and they'll be like, you're the kid who started the student section. Oh, that's cool. And like, you know, my old headmaster was at a game not too long ago and he put his arm around. He's like, man, I've never met somebody with more school spirit than you. So that's just kind of been my thing. Even though I got cut from the basketball team, I still put my best foot forward and did something with it. And because of that, the basketball coach who cut me invited me to the basketball banquet, and they gave me an award, and he told me, you did more off the team than you would have riding the bench for the team. How cool. 
So it, it was a really cool moment, and I, I'm not even sure if he remembers it, but it means a lot to me. Yeah, that is, that's very cool. And hopefully, you know, you guys take, take something away from that story. You know, when you, you set out for a goal, if it's making a team, yep. if it's getting a job, if it's whatever it is, and maybe you don't get there, but, but that drive and that passion and the journey just takes you to different a, a level you never even knew existed. And I think that's a great example of that. Yeah, if I was the 12th man on the basketball team, never would have gotten noticed by the Oakland press. You know, right. wouldn't have all these great memories. And even now when we have our class reunions, the kids that were on the team are like, bro, when we came out of that locker room and we saw you guys getting hype and, you know, he's like, like they, they that's part of their life moments that we got to help create, even though we weren't even a part of the team. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's, you know, the destination's this. Yeah. Always going to be that. Yep, totally. I, I, I agree with that 100%. I talk about, you know, road trips, and half the time, I don't even, I don't even remember the destination, but I remember the journey to get there. Yep. That's where the memories are made, you know. That's really where the memories are made. And um, a great uh, a gentleman named Dr. Wayne Dyer, he talks about the dash. And yep. when I first heard that, I'm like, what is, what is he talking about, poem. the dash? Yep. But when you, yeah, when you look at somebody's tombstone, they have the beginning date and they have their end date. It's what you do with that dash in the middle that really is the meat of who you are. And as we listen to the stories here on the drop and as we listen to Sam, the dash is it's still being created for you. And we're going to get to that <laughs> in a few. It's been but a wild I, ride. I really want to know, like, as you came out of high school, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you were focused on architecture. Yes. Why? Um, I was always very talented in art, you know, like I went to art camps when I was a kid up in Interlochen and I always won a ton of awards at art shows and stuff growing up. Uh, I love drawing. I love creating. I love just, you have a blank piece of paper, but it can be anything you want. And that's just something that's beautiful. You know, there's something beautiful in that and you can create what you want. And I was, I was really big into just art in school and I took a lot of, you know, CAD classes and I took a lot of design classes and I thought that was what I was going to be my entire life. I thought I was going to be an architect. So I pursued that. Uh, I went to Notre Dame for some architecture camps and stuff like that. And uh, eventually getting accepted into university of Detroit, their architecture program, which is very good. You know, even though it's right here in our back pocket, like it's nothing to be sneezed at. It's a very, very good program. Um, and I got into the program I learned I didn't love it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it was too much of something I loved. and The thing I loved turned into something I didn't want to do. And it really soured me. I didn't draw for like 10 years after college. You know, until one day I went to the art store and picked myself up some pencils and stuff like that. Because I, I was missing it. It was part of me. You know, it was part of me 18 years. But... Studio time was just so demanding, and once again, my issue with authority, someone telling me what to do, how to design, when to design it, blah, blah, blah. it's like, no, let my brain work, and I understand they're trying to help me, but I also understand that I need my freedom to be the full me, and so architecture just didn't work out for me. Uh, I had other issues that year. Uh, my best friend passed away in a car accident not Wellington, uh, Ryan Oren. He was my best friend growing up, lived in the house behind me. Um, so I was 17 and at UAD in November he died. And when you lose somebody at that age, 
you just start to question things. And I was under the assumption that I wasn't going to make it to 21 anyways. If the best person I knew couldn't do it, how the hell am I going to do it? Uh, so I just kind of not gave up on life, but all right, I'm just going to take this as it comes. And you lasted there about a year. A year. About yep. a year. Yep. Um, and I have to comment because what you're saying resonates so much with me. I hope it res- it's resonating with you uh, at home, in your car, wherever you're at. I hope this resonates with you because I studied uh, illustration at Wayne State. Oh, nice. And I, I didn't graduate, but I remember going, I, I can't have somebody go, we need 50 drawings of a door handle for a new refrigerator. Now do those five. Right. I, I still draw all the time, but I do punk rock record covers and this and that, what I want to do. Yep. So that resonated so much with me because that was my dismay as I learned more about it. I enjoyed learning, but I wanted to learn what I wanted to learn. I didn't want to learn what they, you know, what they wanted to teach me. Yep. And, um, and so, wow, wow. I, that's one of the... One, another great reason why I love doing this show is to bring the stories to you guys, but also to get them for myself. Like I said in the opening, it, it's it's exciting for me. I got goosebumps on my whole body right now, <laughs> and if I didn't have a sweatshirt on, I'd show them to you. But um, you know, I think I think going into school, uh, thinking I'm going to be an architect, and shifting gears, I think that's more common than than um, I, uh, people give credit to. I mean, doing anything. And thinking that you can pick what your destiny is is right. just kind of silly. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of silly. Like, oh, yeah, in 40 years, I'm going to be doing this. It's like you're going to have to endure a lot if you want to reach that 40-year mark and what you specifically want to do. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. I, I think we all are. Yeah. And I think even when you get what you want, sometimes it's like, all right, now what? Yep. Yes. All right. Yes. Now what? You know, um, it, it, it is an interesting – Interesting being alive and, and <laughs> then being able to look back yep. and see those those different forks in the road where you could have made this decision or that decision and it would have shifted everything. Yeah. Everything. That's why I'm a big fan of like movies like Mr. Destiny and mm-hmm. Back to the Future and stuff like that because and a lot of times you don't even realize the biggest decisions you're making because they seem like small decisions at right. the time. And, you know, you can even micro it down to when you leave for work. If, you know, you pause a little bit longer at a stop sign, all of those little things affect your life in so many ways. And I usually reflect on that in times of tragedy, you know, like uh, you know, my friend who died in a car accident. Oh, man, if he would have left 10 minutes earlier, that car wouldn't have been there. And, you know, we do that a lot when tragedy strikes. But I, I don't think we do that a lot when good things happen. Look back at, oh, I made the right decision there, there and there. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to point to the wrong ones. Now we're going to we're going to shift a little bit towards what I believe is is the big crux that we're getting to. Have you always had an affinity for radio, communication, those kinds of things? When did that passion come into your life? I've always had an affinity for music, right? Um I can remember being 5 years old, sitting in my kitchen with a record player and playing The Lion Sleeps Tonight on repeat till my mom <laughs> yelled at me and it's still a joke in our family but i love that song to this day the tokens thank you for one of the best songs ever for my life soundtrack um and then i can remember you know taking my dad's bob seger records and listen to rope in the wind and you know like my parents always loved music and that trickled down to me you know they they were big hippies they were big rock fans they were you know they were rolling stones not beatles people but they still respected the beatles uh, but just a big record collection. My grandma and grandpa 
met at a dance, you know, like back in the swing era in the 20s. And they always had Glenn Miller records playing going up north and stuff like that. So music has always been a part of me. Um, and it feeds my soul. I love music. And I don't know if it's just because I'm from Detroit. I attribute a lot of that to, you know, we have soul here. It's, it's different here in Detroit. And people that aren't from here don't get it. And that's okay because it's not your fault. You just weren't exposed to it. Um, but either way, back to the radio aspect, because um, I went to Orchard Lake St. Mary's. They didn't have a busing system. You know, it's a private school. Figure out your way to get here. Um, my dad got in a massive car accident when I was in sixth grade, and he had some brain damage and stuff, not like where he couldn't function or anything, but it kept him home and on disability and whatnot. So he would drive me to school in the morning like St. Mary's every day. And we would listen to Drew and Mike, Drew and Mike, like religiously Drew and Mike, Drew and Mike. And I loved them. Anybody in the Metro Detroit area, what through the, you know, late eighties through the nineties. I mean, everybody knew who Drew and Mike was billboards. I mean, they had the best comedy, the best guests, everything. They, they, they kept your attention yep. and every day was a little different. You didn't get the same show every single day. No. And their spoof songs were things that like I loved and you know, like they just got my creative juices going. And later in my career, I've, I wrote several of them, produced them, put them on the radio and oh, like cool. all because of Drew and Mike. But my dad would always tell me, you could do this, man. You're just as funny as those guys. You could do this. You know, when your dad's talking to you when you're a teenager, it's like, yeah, dad, you're right. Nah, 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 nah. right. Um, but one day after I dropped out of um, college, I was working at Lids inside Oakland Mall, and I had a six-disc changer in my car. You know, I'm a music guy. I like my own music. I like my Wu-Tang. I like my Snoop Dogg. You know, I like my Bob Marley. I, you know, like that was my that was my life, that disc changer. I forgot it. Left it on my dresser. Went to work. So on my way home from work, I have no options but to listen to the radio, right? And I'm listening. And I turn on 93.1 DRQ. There's this guy on there. His name's Tic Tac. A lot of people, if you're from the metro Detroit area, you, you'll know that name. Um, and he's just, like, screaming. He's like, you know, this is my Tic Tac impression. But, hey, you know, stick. You know, like, he's just a wily guy. He's tons of energy, just nonstop. And he's like, yeah, I hate my interns. I need new interns. You ever thought you could be in radio? Just come on down and try out tonight. I need new interns. And like the butterfly effect of me forgetting my six disc changer to hearing that on the radio to my dad telling me four years before that, slapping me on the chest. That's what my dad did when he was right. Yeah. Slap me on the chest. Like you could do this. You could do this. And that's all I heard in my head was my dad saying, you know what? You could do that. So I called my friend Tracy who has since passed away. Rest in peace. Um, I was on my way to her house and she, you know, I was like, hey, I, I got to go to this internship tryout. I just got to. And she fully supported me. She's like, yeah, yeah, go. We'll be here when you get back, you know. So I uh, I smoked a blunt <laughs> in my car because I was all nervous. Uh, I had this little white Jeep. And, you know, if you clam bake a Jeep, like, you're stinking when you step out that thing. <laughs> uh, and I drove up there. It was the Wyatt Building in Southfield. And I... I walked in, and there was a guy named Super Dan, Superman Dan taking names at the door. What's your name? Sam. All right, was there cool. a big line? Was there a ton of people there? 35 people there, like, rapping the studio. And, like, I wasn't a radio guy. I was, Like I said, I was my music guy. I was a six-disc changer. I was. Now, 
not to cut you off, but no. did you have any experience at all in in this type of radio production? No. You're just like I'm. I'm going for. It. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm gonna give it a shot. Yep, I liked entertaining. You know, um, I always wanted to do stand up and stuff like that. So there, there was some of that, but no, it was just it was a cold calling, man. And so I rolled up there and. <laughs> It's a funny story because I'm still really good friends with the kid that was the intern at the time. Shout out to my buddy Rover. Um, Rover was the intern, and they lined us all up against the wall. There's Tic Tac, and everybody's coming in saying hi to him. And, like, I'm so ignorant to radio. I'm like, man, this guy really knows everybody. Like, wow, wow, everybody knows this guy. And I really didn't know who he was. Um, And I'm standing there, and the guy's like, all right, you know, what's your name? Jill. All right, cool. And all these people have their Specs Howard graduation certificates, and I'm just like, I'm here, and so Rover takes my name, takes, like, two more names, goes like this. It's like, man, somebody in here smells like trees. <laughs> and, you know, I was the type of kid that was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and Tic Tac, the way his brain works, thank God, he was like, I love that. I love how you didn't care what anybody in here thought. And I just looked, and I was like, I don't care what anybody in here thinks. Yeah. And so the internship tryout goes on. They're doing Dirty Joke of the Week. Where you tell, uh, you know, you give the joke, and then you make callers call in, but you mute the response and then play back their reaction on the air to get more people to call in. So they're never hearing the punchline. They're only hearing laughter and people being like, oh, my God, that's so disgusting. It was a really great bit, right? So this one girl steps up, and he's like, all right, read the joke. She reads the punchline. Uh, and ruins it. And ruins, ruins it. Ruins it. And He's the type of guy, you know, ah, just ruin the whole bit, right, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there. I was like, I got some more dirty jokes if you want to tell them. <laughs> he goes, what's your name? And I'm like, I'm Sam. He's like, get on the mic. And then, you know, he's like, I was like, all right, what do you want? He's like, what dirty joke did you want to tell? I'm like, what's the difference between a guy and a locomotive? And then he goes, what? You know, and people call up and, you know, and then we tell them they, on the phone, like, all right. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to play it back on the air, but we're, we want your response. And, you know, what's the difference between a guy and a locomotive? And they go, oh, what? You know, it's a line of six people. They all talk at once. And you go, they both stop before you get off. But I'm bummed. <laughs> but he loved the joke. It made me a fucking hero right, because right. I saved the bit and it put me on the radar. And that's how I got my internship. Right on. And how long did that last? Shit. Uh, I was an intern, an unpaid intern for about eight or nine months. Okay. An unpaid intern for the and, night show. And then following that, you immediately got the perfect job. It was great. Oh, yeah. You, you were just like... Program director, running markets. Yeah, real easy. Right, um, right. No, man, it was it was a grind. It was literally, before I caught my big break in radio, it was about 13 years of grinding part-time. Mm-hmm. 13 years of club hosting and weekend shifts and just being the... The Swiss Army guy. Right. You know, the Don Kelly. Paying your dues is what some people would call that. Yeah. But, you know, like I started out as an intern on the night show. Then I did the overnight shift. And while I was doing the overnight shift, you know, the morning show was Jay Towers, Rachel Hunter. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was called Jay Jay and Rachel in the morning back then. So I'm just sitting there bored as hell on overnight. So I just pull up funny things and send them to Jay and send them to Jay. Hey, here's something you may want to talk about. So eventually I did that so much. They asked me to be the producer of the morning show. And so I moved out of overnights to producing Jay and Rachel in the morning. And 
explain to our viewers, what does a producer do? We hear that, that term all the time, but a lot of people don't even know what that is. Yeah, uh, you're lining up content, you know, you're coming up with funny bits, you're, you know, you're making sure that we're hitting the trending topics, you're printing out the prep, making sure that that show is a reflection of not only your market, but what the world is talking about. Okay. So you're really, you're really the director, you know. Jay, Jay Towers will come in. He's the talent, but you better have a good rundown for him, and he'll make it gold. Right on. Yeah. Right on. I mean, I, I, like I said, you know, we hear producer or executive producer, this, that, and the other thing. Yep. And oftentimes people are like, what the hell does a producer do? I think you, you encapsulated it perfectly that really I mean, no no disrespect to any host out there. No. Um, you're, the he- you're laying out the groundwork, and, and he's, he or she is going to deliver it. You're the head coach. The talent's the quarterback. All right. That's that's the best way to put it. Like you're giving them the game plan. If you got a great quarterback, they're going to execute it, and everybody's going to win. Yep. Yep. I like that. I like that a lot. Now you're you're working. You're 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 cutting your teeth. You're 13 years. You end up moving four hours west yep. to Chicago. Yeah. What uh, uh what triggered that? So um. DRQ, the original station I worked for, flipped formats um, on April Fool's Day. I remember that. Uh, to Doug FM. That's what it was called. And, you know, uh, the reasoning behind that, we can get into another day. But regardless, we all lost our jobs on April Fool's Day, which is the worst day to lose your job because no matter who you call to tell about it, guess what they're saying? Yeah, you're full of it. Yeah, I called my mom. Like, Mom, right. I just lost my job. Oh, shut up, Sammy. Right, like, it's right, April right. Fool's. You're not going to get me. It's like, no, I swear. Um, so shortly after that, Tic Tac, uh, you know, years had progressed with me at DRQ. Tic Tac had left, and he came back and was working at Channel 955, our competitor at that time. Um, and since I was his intern at DRQ, the minute I lost my job, he called me. He's like, bro, come on over, man. You want to produce the night show and be a, a mic too? It's like, I got a spot for you. So... The very day DRQ flipped, I was on Channel 955, you know, talking with Tic Tac. Um, so it was a pretty seamless transition, but it still, you know, shakes up your world. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about eight months goes by at 955, nine months, and we get let go from there for uh, breaking some FCC violations. Well, and I'd like to, uh, for our viewers, 955 is a huge station in Detroit at this time. This yeah. isn't just like a fringe station. This is like top, what, two, three? Stations in the city, yeah, for and sure. So it's it's a it's a big deal to be doing anything with them at that time. Yeah, it's like Z100 in New York. You know, it's like Y100 in Miami. It's you know, it's 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 a big station. It's nationally known in the radio realm, mm-hmm. like for pushing the envelope, being aggressive, and it's a really great station. Um, but we got fired from 955 because some people were doing some things we shouldn't have been doing, and we all got fired for it. But that was with iHeartRadio, and then like two months later, iHeartRadio calls us and says, I know you guys did a great job in Detroit. I want you to do afternoons in Chicago. So and that's that's gonna at 103.5. Is that immediately at 103.5? Right yeah. Then? Yep, 103.5 KISS FM. Moving from a major market big station to another... <laughs> Uh, Top three market. Yeah, in another big station, yep. but yet a, maybe a little bit of a different thought process in Chicago versus Detroit are very similar. Um, <laughs> much different. Uh, Chicago's a different animal, but we ended up going number one within three months. Afternoon drive in Chicago. I mean, they took pictures of us for billboards and stuff like that. 
Um, but then, you know, life has a funny way of humbling you just when you think you got it by the balls. And, you know, I was young. I was, what, uh, 23, 22, number one in Chicago. You brought me here. You can't tell me nothing. Well, they can. And the show goes on without you. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, that was a hard lesson I had to learn. Um, but needless to say, Chicago was awesome. It was fun. We Mission accomplished. Tic Tac stayed. Me and my sidekick got let go. Um, and then I came back here to Detroit for a couple years, and I just couldn't get back into radio, man. I was sending air checks to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was sending them to Boise, Idaho. Couldn't even get a call. Even get a call from people. Was it because the market wasn't hiring? Was it because your reputation? Because they thought you were too big for their market? Do you have any? Is there any justifiable reason that was happening? No, I really don't have a pulse on it. To be honest with you, um, a lot of it was because I was a mic too. I was never my own show, so it's really tough to find your own thing when you don't have proof that you could do it on your own. Right. Um, and that was actually said to me by a program director in New York when I went out to New York. Is he was like, listen, you can't ride somebody else's coattails. And even though, like, all the bits we did were my ideas, all that, you know, I, I felt like I contributed in a major way. I wasn't the quarterback, so they weren't trying to draft me. Mm-hmm. And that was, the to me, that was the main reason. But I stayed the course. I started promoting events here because I had a good club hosting name in the city. Still do, which I love hosting clubs. Um, and eventually Bo Daniels, who was the music director at Channel 955, called me. He's like, hey, man. He's a Botox. Hey, man. How you doing, bro? Hey, man. We got a part-time position. You want to take it? So I took the part-time position. You know, Even though I'd been in radio 14 years, number one in Chicago, but I just needed to get my foot back in that door. Right, right. So I took the part-time position at 955 in 2008. And what was that? What were you doing? Just a couple weekend shifts, hosting a couple clubs, you know. But club hosting money is pretty damn good money. If you can get it and on a consistent basis. So, you know, I was, I was making a decent living doing what I love, but not really having a projection of where I was going to go. Um, so I, you know, I wanted a night show in Detroit more than anything. And there was an opportunity for 106.7, which is now um, Wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Drew and Mike are on there, mm-hmm. which is full circle. But I worked for 106.7 when it was called The Beat. It was kind of like a throwback station, you know, playing Janet Jackson and Madonna, but also playing Pitbull and Justin Bieber. And it was a pretty good station. That's a wide demographic to try to, I mean, to target your advertisement. From a business perspective, that's an awfully wide demographic. Well, what happened was 955 got a competitor in 98.7 Amp Radio. And the the strategy was to put the station on, which targeted the older pop demo, while 955 took away the bottom... Pop demo, okay. and that way, ninety-eight-seven was squeezed out. They didn't have a chance. So, I applied for the Channel Nine Five Five night job, and I write this beautiful letter. You know, like how much it means to me, where I started, what I wanted, all this stuff. And you know, I go into the program director's office, Mike McCoy, great guy, smart program director, um, and he's like, "I can help you get your dream. I can give you a night show in Detroit, but it won't be on nine five all right, man, they're like, we're going to put you on 106.7 The Beat. It's like, okay. It's like, but that station's not really there to take over the world. 
got a purpose and this is business. So just do your thing. I'm not that, I don't have that in me. No, that's like getting <laughs> drafted to play for the farm club. Exactly. That's exactly what that is. That's exactly what it was. So I told him, I was like, all right, but I'm not here to lose. Right. I'm not. Everything I've ever done, we've won, and I'm not here to lose. Um, slowly but surely, 106.7 The Beat starts beating the station we were supposed to be helping. It becomes an issue. They flip the beat. goes away. Really? Yeah. See, you know, you guys are getting some serious background information, especially if you're from the Metro Detroit area and you watch this stuff happen and you're sitting there scratching your head going, why did they do that? Now we understand a little more how that, you know, the the conversations behind closed doors are going. And I'm sure it happens in every city across the country. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely does. And it, it, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks no matter how you cut it. Sucks for the employees that work there, mm-hmm. you know. Um so I got let go from the beat, <laughs> but iHeart still kept me to do my part-time club hosting with 955 because I was still a valuable asset to them there. Um, and then uh, the night show left that got hired in front of me at 955, brought in somebody else, and then they brought in a new guy to run the entire cluster for iHeart Radio. Uh, and they swapped out guys. Mike McCoy went to Columbus. Tony came to Detroit. And Tony became probably my biggest champion and mentor in my life. And if you'd never find someone like that, it's awful. When you do find someone like that, it's very special. You need somebody to believe in you. You need somebody that will put you in a position to win and give you the tools and help you coach you. And a lot of people can't work for Tony because the coach is hard. I like that because I respond to that, but I respect him. And that's where I allow that authority, my problem with authority. I don't have it if I respect you. I was going to get to that point. It's like, you know, uh, just from what we've talked about, we've, o- we've only been sitting here for a half hour, 45 minutes talking. But Yeah, sorry, man. I feel like I'm <laughs> I don't even know. But, um, you know, when you have a, a, a serious respect yep. for somebody. Yep. And, you know, they may have been in the trenches that you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. You're going to listen and you're going to follow that lead. Because, you know, in anything you're doing in life, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. No. You find somebody who's doing the successful. What what does Tony Robbins say? Success leaves clues. And you pay attention to those clues. And it's going to help you exponentially throughout the rest of your life, no matter what your what your goals are. Yep. When you find that person, like you just said, I've been fortunate because I've had different people in that position throughout my whole life. If it was at my job, if it was in the skateboard world, if it was playing drums, whatever it was, there's been some person there to give me a little like poke or say, hey, try doing it this way. And it sounds like Tony was doing that for you. Yeah, he was, like I said, probably the biggest champion of me that I've ever met in my life. And, uh, you know, after a while, you it means a lot more when you find that person because it took so long to find that person, right? Yeah. It took so long to find that person. Uh, so Tony, um, he, w- he was great. He was great with me. And eventually uh, the promotions director position became open at Channel 955. I didn't want to be a promotions director, but I knew I had to prove that I could manage people. I knew that I had to prove that I could be a part of that structure so I took that job, and I became the promotions director for eight months. Um, luckily, the guy Tony hired for the on-air position 
came to Detroit. He didn't fit into Detroit. He didn't love Detroit. He was a Florida guy. Detroit's just different. It's it's just different. Quite a bit different. Yeah. I mean, he's interviewing Trick Trick with, with like, a tank top on and, like, a headband. And Trick Trick's like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> right. You know? So, um, and I love Brian. Brian's great. But he ended up wanting to leave, and it was a mutual split. So the afternoon or night job and music director position became open at 955. And this was my shot, man. This was this was it. Like now, not not only have I proven I can win on the air to, to them, I've proven that you know I can run the promotions department. So I go through the whole interview process, and you know, there's another guy. His name's DJ Grooves, who's up for the job. And much respect for Grooves, love him, very talented. The only person in the world I would have tolerated losing that job to, you know, just because of how much respect I have for him. And Tony calls me in his office, and he's like, "Hey, man, you know, I just wanted you to hear it from me." Hits the trades and it's like we made a decision for the for the position. And motherfucker slow played me and he's like, "It's you." <laughs> and dude, <laughs> I'm telling you, that was you know almost 17 years, 16 years of just grinding it out and right. finally achieving that goal. Crying in his office, like just like it was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. He gives me stuff, you know, crap about it now, but that is it that was. Is. I've never felt happier. Because it took so long to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now we're there, right? Yeah. And, and see, <laughs> along that road, you you just hit on it. You picked up so many tools. Mm-hmm. You know, the on-air tools, the behind-the-scenes tools. The, I mean, almost every facet. Promotions, this, that, yep. the other thing. So you have this giant toolbox, and you decide you're going to go out on your own. At what point do you decide, or you have an idea, and I'm talking about this wonderful place. <laughs> you have an idea. You're like, I think we can do this. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of put a bow on the radio thing. So I do my thing at 955. We have a great night show, Crush It. I meet Joey, uh, who, if you're from Detroit, you know who Joey is. Um, and I eventually become the program director of 104.5 SNX in Grand Rapids. They give me my own radio station to run. Another proud moment in my life. Three years goes by, we set records. Um, but I end up losing that job because of... Uh, a poor decision I made and it wasn't nothing, didn't hurt anybody or anything, but I was put in an awkward position and I made a poor judgment call cost me my job and it is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Broke my heart, but I own it. I'm not, not hiding from anybody on that. Um, so then I just don't know what to do, man. You know, something you work your whole life for is just gone. Like gone. Right, right. I come back to Detroit, not with my tail between my legs, but, not really knowing what the hell I'm going to do. Uh, luckily, I have some good friends, and I've made some great friends over the course of my life, and a buddy of mine needed a marketing director, and he hired me right on as his marketing director because he always thought I was creative and I knew social media and all that good stuff. So I became the marketing director for the carpet guys here in Detroit. And if you know the carpet guys, they're everywhere. And the marketing has <laughs> been amazing. Thank you. I, 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 <laughs> This wasn't in the outline. Like, <laughs> I don't even know this, but they have had the best billboards. The best. Like right on the fringe of too risque to put on a billboard. <laughs> the, the best. That's, that, that's yep. a, man. So the, great, a lot of those billboards, a lot of those billboards were my idea. You know, like even Karen approves and then we get attacked by a bunch of Karens. Right, right, You know, right. stuff like that. Just or little. they had a, the one I remember. It's like a, a lady and she's looking like sort of disgruntled and says wet downstairs. Like I'm like, so 
It's funny you remember that. Yeah. No, it was moist downstairs. Moist downstairs. That's it. And that's that was it. for the basement waterproofing company totally. I was helping. Yeah. BWM. And I made that billboard. Oh, my word. Those are brilliant. <laughs> Thank it's you. Like, so memorable. Like, you're driving down. You just see, like, five words. And you it, it sticks. With a billboard, you only have five words. Yeah. That's it. So you got to make an impactful message in those five words. Oh, great job. And you got to cut through. And, yeah, the Moist Downstairs billboard got us national news. Oh, yeah. National news. When the Lions got screwed by the referee and we put a ref up there saying, don't make the wrong call, call the carpet guys. <laughs> Once again, they showed it on Monday Night Football. That's like, so cool. Yeah, but, you know, luckily luckily the owner, Joe Zago, g- gave me the freedom to act like that. Like, I had an idea for a billboard in the morning. It was produced in 20 minutes, up and running on the digital billboards within seconds. Man, you, you really put that company on the map with those billboards. I, mean, I, I won't take credit. Like, well, uh, for people like me, those billboards, okay, we'll say. Okay. Those billboards um, put that company on the map, seeing them on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zago's a brilliant, brilliant marketer, man. Yeah. Aggressive, um, smart with his spends, where he needs to spend, um, you know, percentages of his income that he needs to spend on marketing. Like, he, he gets it on the marketing level. So... As you know, like, I didn't land in a place that wasn't fun to work at. I couldn't be creative because, you know, that's been the theme. Just creativity is what I like. And billboards were an outlet for me. Uh, so I was there about two years doing their, doing all their stuff for them, helping them, you know, just recreate everything. And luck, we were able to increase sales quite a bit during that time. I bet. You know, I we bet. went from selling about $22 million a year in carpet to about $30 million a year in carpet within those two years. And it had to do with a lot of other scaling and stuff, but the marketing supported it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I was doing. And then... Um, that's awesome. <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, and then tragically, uh, in 2020, July of 2020, my best friend uh, outside of Wellington, her name was Tracy, she died in a car accident. And I was just sitting there at the, my marketing desk, and, like, I liked it, but I didn't love it, you know? It was fun, but it wasn't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And Tracy had always pushed me to do sports. Always. We, we'd go to sporting events together. We'd watch every game together. Like, we were, we were best friends in that manner. Um, and, I, you know, we'd be watching a game. I'd say something, and two seconds later, the color commentator would say it. So I'd be like, why aren't, why aren't you doing this? You know, like, get out of radio, like music radio, and do sports. And it was just a, yay, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. But similar to my dad. I was just going to say, like your dad slapping your chest going, you can do this. Yeah, so I'm sitting there at the computer one day, and I'm like, you know what? I need an outlet. I want to start a podcast. And I was like, what can I name a Detroit sports podcast? I wrote down a bunch of names, and then I started thinking, well, LCA's on Woodward. America's on Woodward. Ford Field, you can see from Woodward. So Woodward is essentially where every sport in Detroit takes place. Mm -hmm. Like, Woodward Sports. Google the website, went on GoDaddy.com. Yep. It was available. Nobody had bought Woodward Sports. I was like, what? $1.99 for the year I got it for. It was amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, registered social media. The only one I couldn't get right off the bat was Twitter because I could get Woodward underscore sports, but not Woodward Sports. There was a high school in California that had it. Uh, Joey ended up finessing it from him, so we got it. <laughs> but... You know, built all the social media. I just wanted to do a little podcast. I didn't have a studio, though. Um, and Chad Johnson, the guy who owns all the local Lady Janes here in Detroit and all over the country, really, have 120 stores. 
he had done some advertising with iHeartRadio when I was in Grand Rapids and when I was in Detroit. We never really met or anything like that, um, but not to sidebar too far, my dad battled cancer for like eight months while I was in Grand Rapids, and that was a very tough time, and we ended up having to go the holistic route. And as you know, holistic cancer treatment is not cheap, right? Me and my family went through everything we could financially and to the point where I finally put out a, a GoFundMe. We needed help, uh, and it killed my pride to ask for help. But put it out there, wake up one day, and it's got thirty grand in it, $30,000, $5,000 from Chad Johnson, the guy that owns Lady Jane's. And I didn't really know him at that time. We just knew of each other. And so when all this Woodward Sports came about, I knew he had that studio, knew he was a solid human being. You know, anybody who does that for somebody that they don't really know, right. is it means a lot. Um, so I called him. I was like, Hey man, I got an idea. I don't want to run it by you. Cause I know he's a sports freak, like advertised with the lions, tigers, he's a freak guy. Guy loves it. And so I come in, I was like, I want to start a podcast. Can I use your studio? And you know, I had the idea for my podcast. Chad had the idea for the network. Cause he looked at me. He's like, podcast is nice, but I want, I want it all. Like, what do I need to have a whole network? Well, and you just happened. To have that toolbox. <laughs> it worked out. But it also taught me a lesson because I later learned that Chad's been wanting to do this for a while. There's people out there with lots of money who have ideas that they want, just people aren't approaching them with those opportunities. And I just got lucky to be the first one to approach him because had anybody else, he probably would have bit too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so ask people. If you got an idea and you know somebody, ask people. Worst he's going to say is, no, it's a stupid idea. Get out of my office. Best he's going to say is, good idea. Let's do a whole network, though. Right. And that's how Woodward Sports came to be. It was my small vision and then Chad just, you know, Grant Cardoning it. Right. <laughs> 10Xing it. I love Grant Cardone. Who I doesn't? Pay, I, I pay attention to him quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it, it the what you just recounted, you know, having an idea for a podcast and then reaching out and all of a sudden he's like, well, what do you think about? network um you know one thing about creating goals i I used to create short-term long-term goals Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff i quit creating goals and that makes people go what and i said well i don't i didn't quit creating goals but i quit quit creating goals from my past experiences because i don't know what's coming right i i can't create what's coming my life up to this point has has blown me away i never could have imagined where i'm at sitting in in a studio doing a podcast inspiring the world I could never fabricate that because that's like nothing I've experienced before. Right. And, and like this, you know, having an idea for a podcast and approaching somebody and him going, dude, you know, you want to build an ice rink? Let's build a fucking arena. Right. You know? Right. Um, and, and, and what, uh, I mean, what, what, what kind of emotions did you have at that point? That had to be a little bit of a, uh, I don't even know how, what a word to describe that. It was pure excitement. Pure excitement of what could be, what will be. You know, this is special, you know, like, holy hell, all this crap has led to this, mm-hmm. you know, like, the, the windy road wound up here. And this story isn't told yet. This, you know, this, not saying that it could go wrong, but it could go wrong, right? We, we could trip over ourselves. It could be Saginaw. It, yeah. It, it could be at any point in time. Um, uh, you know, you, you've been doing this. A little over a year now? A little over a year. A little yep. over a year now? Yep. And um, it's crossed and 5 yeah. million views on YouTube. 
Really? Yep. That's pretty impressive. I think so. I mean, I think our growth, we could definitely could be further ahead, but I don't think anybody is looking at us as uh, those guys are tripping up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're going for it, and there's no stopping. We got a team that just doesn't quit. They're hungry, they're aggressive, and you know we want. That's what I wanted us to be like, gorillas. And yeah, there are some wonderful people here. There yeah, some people that I know from past experience. Well, that's how you got here, D Mac and Maz. Vouch for you, like you were the second coming, man. <laughs> I just had a lot of fun, and I, I, I'm very passionate about what I do. But you're good to people, and that's what matters. Oh yeah, we have a lot of fun, and I, I love telling stories. I love bringing stories to you guys out there in the, in in the freaking Ethernet, and and just. Uh, inspiring people to, to uh, like I said at the beginning, get off the couch, make life happen, be be a a, 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 a active participant in your own life because it's your life. And stick is, I mean, you you listen for the last 45, 50 minutes of this crazy road, and then to get an opportunity like this, I mean, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Like some people would would just be like, no, and, and cower in fear, and and you are like, new opportunity. This <laughs> is exciting. Like, Great. Um, when when the idea, when uh, Chad said, let's do a network, did you immediately have personalities you wanted to include in it? Did, did that start it, or, or was that a little bit down the road? Um, no, I immediately started, you know, uh, I'll show you my notebook of, like, the original lineup I wanted and targets, and, you know, it was funny. Like, it was, like, even on my podcast, I had target guests, and one of them was Braylon Edwards is just a guest. And now Braylon Edwards does a show with us every day, two to four. Oh, cool. Like, so, you know, you look back on those things, and it's like, my God, this this is special. Definitely, definitely, and and you know, you you brought up McCarty, um, you know, growing up playing hockey. I, I mean, anybody in Detroit knows knows who Darren McCarty is. Yep. But when you meet him, oh. he is such a, a a passionate person. He's so enigmatic, and he's fired up. Like he, he's a guy. I, I'll pitch him an idea, and he's all. I, it's hard to find people as passionate as you are about an idea. And if he believes in it, that guy is is all in. Yeah, I think. The biggest thing I take away from Darren McCarty is just how deep he is. Mm-hmm. You know, like you may think that he's a surface hockey player that beats the shit out of people, and he does. Mm-hmm. He has, and he will. <laughs> right. But that dude's soul is very deep. He he cares about things very empathetically. Um, he thinks about a lot of things. Like I've been just thoroughly impressed with him as a human being. You know, because fame. Fine, you know it's, it's, it goes back to grade school stuff and high school stuff. Rich, fine. Poor, fine. Fame, fine. I've met every famous. I've met Jay Z. I've met a, like I've met every famous person in the world that you can imagine in my radio career. Doesn't mean a damn thing. Mm-hmm. It's this man yep. and that guy. There's a picture of him right there. That's why I keep looking down. If anybody's wondering, that guy right there, man, is that's a soldier. Well, and you brought up Mazway. Mazway is the same way. Yeah, Maz Maz's heart is too big. Oh yeah, that's his biggest fault. <laughs> it's yeah. too big. He is such such a wonderful human being, and yeah. I, I'm honored to call him a friend. Yeah, myself. yeah he's a good um, guy. So, goals. I do you have any? Do you write down goals? And if so, do you have like a, a five year goal for here, a ten year goal, like things like that? Uh yes, I do. Um, and really, when I started working for the Carpet Guys, Zago was a big fan of that. He made us like that was an exercise: daily goals, 
weekly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals, life goals. Well, you have to quantify it, especially in business. You have to see what's working, what's not. Right. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, change your sales. And it's bit. also amazing, though, once you put it down, how easy they become to achieve. Yes. Because that's what made him. Like, you want to talk to somebody that has a great story? I got to get Zago on this. Yeah, get him in here. The guy was homeless at one point, squatting in a house, and turned it around and become a millionaire. It, it. It's it's an and he's the same person. He's got money now, but he's the same Zago that I met 20 years ago. I love it. Yep, I love it. Perfect guess for the drop in. Yeah, dude, uh, you, that has to happen because his story to me is it's the American dream. You know, like I'll let him tell it, but there was a time when he's starting out, he didn't have enough money to have carpet, but he this house wanted a full house of carpet. He's like, all right, so tell you what, I can do this this week. I'll come back in two weeks, give you a discount on the upstairs because now you're a returning customer. But what he was doing is he had to max out his credit card. They had to pay him. He had to pay off his credit card, max out again to get the – and he just parlayed it into what it is today. Well, Crazy. Like your story, uh, Zago's story, it's going to inspire somebody. It should, yeah. Who, who's listening around the world to go, yeah, yeah, you see how stick did it? I want to do it like that. And, and that's the goal of this show. <laughs> yeah, my biggest message is don't be afraid to fail. I've failed so much, an incredible amount in my life. But my victories have been much bigger than my failures. Yeah. And that's what matters. You know, fail 100 times with a bunch of ones, but you win on the 1,000, you're up 900. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah, that's awesome. Well, again, I want to thank you. No, thank for you. For coming by, spending an hour with us here on the drop-in. Uh, anything closing, anything you want to let our viewers know? Um how, how they can get to everything here yeah. on the network. Yeah, I mean, Woodward Sports, it's everywhere. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, uh, YouTube is our big platform. We have an app if you want to download it. Just go to uh, Google Play or Apple Store and search Woodward Sports Live or just Woodward Sports. It'll pop up, um, you know, and look for us. Like, we're on radio stations. We're looking to go national. Like, this, this, train, this train's going, man, and yeah. we ain't stopping. Well, it's an honor for me to be here. You know, this is our first show. It's comfortable. It's cool. I thought it, I thought it would be great to have you on. Uh, <laughs> I was shocked and honored, so thank you. Well, thank you because your story is awesome. And uh, anytime you want to stop back by, obviously, and uh, <laughs> and, and talk about anything, man, um, it, it, it would the door is always open. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And anybody that's watching right now, man, just go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. He says you just have to go for it. You don't know if you don't try. Right. And and some people say fail is first attempt in learning. I like that one. That one stuck with me. I have I mean you don't even want to hear the failures of my life. <laughs> but to be sitting here, it's because I kept going. I kept going. I, I didn't know the first thing about public speaking. Guys like we need somebody to get on stage. I jumped on stage. I'll give it a shot. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. You know, next thing you know, I'm speaking all over the country. You have to give it a shot, no matter what. Have the experience, and you can say, honestly, I love that or I don't like that, but at least you got to experience it. And the experiences uh, Sam has had in his life, and he's got plenty to go. I was, we were talking before we came in studio. You know, he's 40. 
according to science, most people are most successful between the ages of 40 and 60. He's just hitting the sweet spot. Let's go, baby. Sweet spot. So I want to thank you all for tuning in, checking us out, listening to Sam's story. Make sure to follow Woodward Sports Network. You know, you can follow me, Gerald Valley, on Facebook, Instagram, also the drop in on YouTube. And um, and and you know what? You gotta you gotta make life happen. You have to take those chances and follow your passion. And if you if you say you don't have a passion, have every experience you possibly can until you find the one that makes the hair stand up on your arms that makes you jump out of bed in the morning and get excited to live life because that's what sam's doing that's what i'm doing i will thank you one more time sam thank you you. so much brother and thank you i am gerald valley and this is the (laughs) drop-in